Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 172. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by David Campbell, founder and director of House of Colour in Ireland, to discuss the value of salon apprenticeships in creating a quality culture. You have a traditional apprenticeship, which is basically people working in a salon and, you know, uh, serving an amount of time and hopefully having an exam at the end of it. And then you have the government apprenticeship. You know, the interesting thing about us is, you know, we've got a, a 102 people working in our group. Um, we have four people who aren't House of Colour trained. Everybody else is House of Colour trained. We don't employ stylists from the outside, or it's very rarely we do. Everybody's grown organically. Basically, any dream you have, you can make come true, and we can help you to get there. And even if you don't know your dreams, we can educate you on what's achievable in the industry. House of Colour are committed to achieving academic excellence through education. Their courses are led by some of Ireland's elite professionals. They've won awards nationally and internationally, and their courses are designed to focus on their students' needs. David Campbell is the founder and director of House of Colour. He's grown the business along with his business partner, Susan Byrne, into a multi-award winning brand, both nationally and internationally, with six locations and a renowned training academy, which we're going to cover today. So without further ado, welcome to the show, David. Hey guys, how are you today? Good, yeah, great to have you on. We're finally getting to chat to each other. I think we first met, was it about three months ago at the IHF at the Red Cow? When was that? Was that end of February, start of March? It was, yeah, it was just before everything kicked off with, with lockdown. Uh, the Federation run an event called the Business Hub each year, where we... Uh, invite speakers, get people together, hopefully inspire business owners. Um, I've generally been involved in the running of it, but this year, because it's my last year's president of the Federation, they asked me to get up and do a little bit of speaking. Um, so yeah, that, that's where we, we got to see it. But I have to say, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Uh, I am like a geek for her, so I've been listening to everyone from Tamara Shaw to Sean O'Sullivan to... Steve Gomez, to Chris Moody, I've been, you know, just looking at them all. See, now, he never, in, and I think it's fantastic. He never even mentioned that. You waited for us to hit the record <laughs> button to mention that because we were going through how we organized the run of the show with Dave and he's like, yeah, 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 sounds good, sounds good. So I just assumed he'd never even listen to it. So uh, yeah, that's a free plug all on David's own. <laughs> So, so David, we're talking about apprenticeships today. And when we were prepping for this episode, Killian and I both realized we didn't know a whole lot about apprenticeships ourselves. Um, I guess the main reason for that is just that what we chose as a career didn't necessarily uh, require an apprenticeship as such. Um, so my first question to you, I guess, would be, would you say that the hair and beauty sector in comparison to the barbering sector, for instance, or any other industry uh, that, that uses apprenticeships to, to grow talent, um, places as much value on those apprenticeships? Like, I'm, I feel like in some industries, for instance, even just the tattooing industry, uh, it's nearly like a stamp of approval, a show of respect for veterans of the trade. Yeah, I think obviously you've got two different types of apprenticeship. Now, because we were lucky enough to be involved in the passing of the national apprenticeship in Ireland, and we spent the best part of two years putting together with uh, government bodies and other uh, hairdressing organizations, 
you have a traditional apprenticeship, which is basically people working in a salon and, you know, uh, serving an amount of time and hopefully having an exam at the end of it. And then you have the government apprenticeship. Now, because the government apprenticeship really only launched last year, mm-hmm. we're still in the process of trying to get salons involved and signed up for it. Okay. Um, and interestingly enough, barbers don't have a government apprenticeship at the moment. It is only hairdressing. So I do believe that's next on the list and it's something that we're going to aim for. I would say that at the moment, it really depends on the individual running salon. So, for example, in House of Colour, we place a high emphasis on the type of person we want to develop. We don't necessarily want to develop a hairdresser, per se. What the government apprenticeship does is it brings a level playing field, which basically means that there is a certain standard of education that's available to the individual and a certain standard of education that's available to anybody, no matter what their background is coming into the industry. So what you were saying there, based on kind of the approach that you have, is that almost saying that you hire people as opposed to skills because you can always teach skills, but you can't teach culture or instill culture into someone. Is that what your approach is? A hundred percent. You know, the interesting thing about us is, you know, we've got a, a 102 people working in our group. Um, we have four people who aren't House of Colour trained. Everybody else is House of Colour trained. We don't employ stylists from the outside, or it's very rarely we do. Everybody's grown organically. Uh, we started doing that way back in the year 2000. Oh, so 20 years ago. Uh, we just decided, yeah, we just decided uh, it was easier to create habits than to break habits. Uh, it was easier to instill uh, a sense of what a person has to do to succeed in life um, as opposed to maybe trying to take some things away. So for us, it's all about the individual. Nobody does a test to come into how to put Your test is, you know, are you passionate? Are you enthusiastic? Um, are you bright? Can you communicate? Because we can teach you how to do hairdressing. We can't, it's very difficult to teach somebody then skills if they don't have natural uh, sort of propensity to behave like that. It's really interesting. You've actually fast-tracked one of our questions forward of... Really? Yeah, you're, you're, we don't even need to ask questions anymore. <laughs> um, but no, I wish, Gillian, I wish. But it was, it was one thing myself and Zoe were dying to know. It's like, for you... Is it more about homegrown? Like, do you look at it? Like, basically, have you got more interest in taking someone on with no previous experience and building them up as opposed to taking them from salon to salon? And you're saying I have, what, 106? Did you say 106 staff? 102. 102. 102. Only four of them have not been homegrown. That's incredible. So, okay, 20 years running this, you've obviously had a wealth of people coming through your academy uh, for an apprenticeship. So has there been a change in people's expectations as to what kind of career they can have in the hair and beauty industry, uh, say, over these 20 years? You know, as in like... um, let's say even just with social media, where we can easily see the more glamorous side of, of the industry with celebrity hairstylists and, and so on and so forth. So has there been a change in the aspirations or the expectations of what they can get out of um, this career? Yeah, I think social media has made people more aspirational. Um, I think it has connected an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think social media is a fantastic tool. 
it's probably the most amazing tool uh, that has ever been invented because although hairdressing is one of the few industries in the world where you can actually connect with people on a physical level, where you can speak with them face to face, where you can connect with them emotionally while they're sitting in the chair. Uh, I think social media opens up a whole new world. You can talk to anybody in the world and you can see what they're doing. And for me, what social media has done is it's back to what we believed in from minute one. And what we believed in from minute one was basically any dream you have, you can make come true and we can help you to get there. And even if you don't know your dreams, we can educate you on what's achievable in the industry. And mm-hmm. uh, that tended to be pretty close off in, in the industry across the world, not just Ireland, in the sense that most people had no idea about what you can achieve, what you can do, what type of living you can get from the hairdressing industry. Um, but social media has blown that word out. So what you have now is you have uh, assistants who will apply for jobs and be very, uh, very assured and very uh, target-driven about what they want from the industry. So that helps because that helps you mold them and help them and push them and guide them along the way in their career. Um, the one thing that we can't do is we can't fall into the trap of thinking that the people who are aspirational on social media just get up every morning, sort of take themselves and everything is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody who puts anything into social media will tell you it is 24-7, they work hard. Yeah, there's no, there's no overnight success. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no, the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's as simple as that. Um, and I, I think that when you look at the people who've done extremely well in any industry with regard to social media, you know, they work hard. They work hard, whether it's uh, ZH, uh, ZHC in LA when he's painting iPads and, you know, doing art on cars and, you know, he, he's on it. He's releasing every few days. He's putting hours of work in to make sure his followers are up. Or whether it's, you know, a hairdresser like our own Olive Tucker Lee or uh, Super Soils Abbey or any of these girls in the industry who are really pushing themselves on social media, they work at it. But it does encourage people to be aspirational. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's good. I think you need to be aspirational. Because if you're not aspirational, then what are you doing? You're just prepared to sit. You know, one of the questions we ask at the interview when an assistant comes to interview for us is, uh, if we had a magic wand and we could make anything come true in your career, what would you want? And if they say to qualify, they don't get the job. Yeah. Because we say qualification is the minimum. So, you know, and social media has helped with that. It's helped because people can go, oh, I want to I want to work at London Fashion Week. I want to do Paris Fashion Week. I want to I want to do shows. I want to get behind the chair. I want to, you know, so it really has blown it all open. It's fantastic. So you're looking for ambition. Yeah, because passion and ambition, I can't give you that. I can teach you how to do a bob, a fourth-player, round graduation, balayage, uh, ombre colour, root stretching, colour pop, colour swirl. I can teach you all that. You don't have ambition, drive, and passion and enthusiasm. I can't give you that. Uh, I can fill in the gaps and everything else. And, you know, the way we train our apprentices, we try and do that with regard to how we, we train them and help them along the way. But I can't give you passion. Nobody can give you passion. You either have it or you don't. It's why the two of you guys are so successful at what you do. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're multi-project people. You're involved in everything because you're passionate. And, and you know, you have a fantastic outlook on life. I think if you don't have that, it's very difficult to get it. 
very difficult to get it. Well, look, this ties nicely then into the next question that I have. And before I ask the question, I just want uh, to ask a really quick one first. What is the sort of age that you usually take an apprentice on at? Okay, that's a good one for you. Uh, generally, we would look, you know, anything between uh, 18 upwards, um, mm-hmm. of course. We might get uh, a kid, uh, two kids at the moment who are 17 working in the group. And to be honest with you, just, just at the interview stage, they blew me away. They were just amazing. They were so passionate about the industry. They knew all about the industry. Um, and we just felt they're superstars in the making. And the oldest apprentice we ever took on uh, was a 33-year-old boy from marketing who is now the manager of one of our salons. And he also uh, runs our social media in the group, Marcus. So he gave up uh, a very well-paid marketing job um, because he had a passion for hairdressing. And he came and did a, a apprenticeship uh, course. Um, he qualified after two and a half years, which is the amount of time he qualified in school. And he went on to manage and, and is now involved in social media, involved in our art team. Uh, he's living the dream. He won't thank me for saying that was 10 years ago. So it's kind of gone full circle for him anyways, because he's still doing marketing in some regards. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But it's quite interesting. His slant on it. His slant on it is his marketing before involved what he calls inanimate objects. Uh, you know, things that don't walk, don't talk, don't move. Uh, now he's amazed at our industry and the amount of possibilities that's out there for our industry and the amount of things that industry can grow into and, area, and areas that we can move into as an industry that he feels is untapped. And it's fantastic getting his slant on it because sometimes you're talking to him and he's in hairdresser mode and you can see him in front of you change back into that marketing sort of guy, you know, where it's, okay, let's try it this way, which is fantastic and fantastic for the group. That is kind of the uh, that is kind of the, the the job requirements now because there's so many new roles like out there. When you look at any so, uh, companies, usually software companies, there's roles there now that weren't there five years ago, like new names. It's almost like I remember starting out. I was like, I'm going to be marketing. That's what I'm going to do. But I've diversed so much, and I think that actually kind of stands to me. So just like your apprenticeship or apprentice, he worked in marketing, then did his apprenticeship in hair. And now he's able to get this like holistic approach. He's able to see things from multiple angles. So he's got loads of different, or he's got multiple backgrounds then. So like having, having that, uh, I suppose, broad skill set really does stand to you. And it's great to hear that he only started his apprenticeship at 33. Because I remember my parents telling me, you have to be at the peak of your career by the time you're 30. And I'm looking at it, it's like, <laughs> I am not far <laughs> off from that. And I'm going, where am I? <laughs> So a reminder to everyone out there listening, 30, no problem in starting a new career. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I actually forgot what my initial question was. <laughs> you were talking about age. Age. Yes. Okay. Um, that was it. Because it actually came from your talk at the IHF, where you were saying that you were looking into the backgrounds of 13 to 17-year-olds, which is typically yeah. when apprenticeships do start don't they usually around the yeah. 16 but you so so about about uh maybe about six years ago seven years ago we started doing some research uh we used the likes of mckindle.com mckinsey and company pan research center all these places and we started looking at the different generations generation x y and z 
we started looking at the differences between these different groups and, and their different opinions and how culture had shaped them. And it was very interesting towards that. We were planning for a future where, which is, you know, basically going to be driven by the people we employ from within. So we felt it was very important that all our managers, all our educators, uh, and all of our senior team uh, got to understand the type of people they're dealing with. Um, and, you know, the research we got was absolutely fascinating. You know, in particular, you know, obviously the boys we're dealing with now, which is Generation Z or the Millennials or whatever way you want to phrase it, because the phrases keep changing all the time. You know, um, I think, the, you know, the idea that they, they, they love to be unique uh, on saying that there's also a herd mentality. The idea that, you know, up to the age of 12, they're very much involved with their parents and shaped by their parents and, you know, told what to do by their parents. And then from 13 onwards, they're shaped by their friends and by the internet and by their peers. You know, and, and the way we started to approach it was we started to look at it from the point of view of these guys' first role model that they're going to meet is the first person they meet when they start their first job. And, you know, you have two options. Either that role model will be a hero and somebody who says, look, this is amazing and you've an amazing opportunity and I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to show you what to do. Or that role model won't be a hero. And basically our mantra is, who are we to mess with people's dreams? You know, if you're going to be something, be a hero to someone. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's a 16 year old or a 60 year old, if they're starting their first day on the job, you take them under your wing, you understand that this is their first time in our industry. And you understand that it's, it, it, it can be difficult starting a job. So help them. You know, I oh. think that an awful lot of people are shaped by their parents, as you were alluding to earlier. <laughs> you know, and for some people that's fantastic, but not for everyone. Because if you think that you're shaped by your parents up to the age of 12 or 13, and then you find, uh, you know, sort of security with your peers and on the internet, um, if you don't have a good role model to say, that may not be true, or you may need to investigate that a bit more, you may need to change that, or you may need to think out of the box a little bit. You could end up just going down the road and believing everything that's been taught to you that stage, which is not necessarily a healthy thing. Sorry, what was that motto you had again? Who are we to? Who are we to ruin people's dreams? You know, we, we like that's the way amazing. we look at yeah. it is we, we, we're, the, uh, we're the keeper of people's dreams in here. The House of Color, that's what we do. You know, you come in, uh, we do the interview, and, you know, one of the questions which I said earlier is what's your ambition? You know, with a magic wand, I could make anything happen. What would you want? Yeah. And when you tell me that we record it and we keep touching on that at your assessment. So every eight weeks there's an assessment. We sit down, uh, we go through your career, how you're moving through it. And we keep relaying back to that because it can change and it can grow and it can move in different directions. But we need to know where you started before we can understand where you're going to finish. And someone coming to you that really does have that burning desire and passion, that's exactly what they're going to want to hear from a business. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, I think in every industry in the world, whether it's in our industry or whether it's in, you know, uh, Facebook or, or, or uh, Deloitte or the Big Four, or, and it, it doesn't matter what industry, everybody's talking about recruiting. Everybody's looking for the stars. Yeah. Everybody says there's a recruitment shortage. Um, you know, and our thing is, well, 
what are you doing about it? You know, I, 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 we're very lucky. We have a waiting list of people who want to join House of Prayer. You know, and, and sometimes when I'm talking to my peers in the industry and they tell me I just can't get people, you know, I, I, I actually don't say that. I just say quiet because I go, oh, I'm not going to say anything about it. Um, but we, you know, we, we're very lucky that people understand the level of training that we put in. People understand how we expand people. People understand how we grow people. Uh, we don't just teach others. It's interesting you mentioned the uh, recruitment crisis because I actually had a question around that. I guess, do you think salon owners see apprenticeships as a good pool of upcoming talent to, I guess, plug the gap created by the recruitment crisis? Or or would you be seeing more salon owners, I guess, using apprenticeships as a way to um, create their, their own legacy nearly? Um, yeah, I think legacy is the right word for that, actually. Yeah, it is the right word, yeah. Um, I think 30% of the industry are shaping a legacy. They understand it's much easier to create a culture from within than try and teach an outsider your culture. I think 70% of the industry don't create a culture. Um, I think what they feel is that they'll take somebody on, they'll teach them what they think, and then hopefully they will graduate them at the end, and that's pretty much it. Um, and I think if it works for you, that's fantastic. You know, who am I to, you know, talk about what people do? Uh, I can only talk about what we do. Um, mm-hmm. but I do think there is no better feeling than seeing somebody who's been through your apprenticeship system or training succeed in life, whether it is with you or not with you. Um, I think there's no better feeling than looking at a kid come in at whatever age and be afraid to shampoo and looking at them four years later, standing on stage at Salon International in front of 3,000 people. And they come off stage and start crying and saying, that was it, that was my moment. And we are very lucky to be standing there for those moments. Yeah. I mean, you're just saying that, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, well, I do, yeah. you know, I, I, I think we are so lucky in our industry to do that. And, you know, okay, I'm talking about Salon International, but it could also be somebody earning their first commission earning the first tip, uh, getting the first review, uh, winning the first competition. You know, these are, these are firsts. These are, mm-hmm. these are things that they will tell their children. I remember when, uh, did I ever tell you? Because this is what shapes people. And, and what I would say to maybe people out there who don't look at their training program, whether it's for trainees or spoils, because you've got to have both. Um, if you pay attention to your tra- training program, it will pay dividends. Because even if you don't succeed in producing the right people, you will hear you will hear from other people uh, from a recruitment perspective saying that's the place to be, that's where I want to go. So you will naturally attract all the good talent. Mm. I, I think that that's interesting. You know, there could be a little bit of pain in the start for people setting up their training program, putting the work in, making sure it's right. But in the long term, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. You don't have to do it in recruitment. Yeah, I think I think we even had an episode on that uh, about shaping the dream workplace, like shaping the 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 salon everybody wants to work at. Yeah, because I remember you saying before that uh, like you're a multi award winning salon with multiple locations, but a lot of those rewards, a lot of those awards actually come from other salons, i.e., you've trained them and they've gone on to uh, to succeed developing the roles. Well, yeah, well, well, actually, because that's a really good story. 
So we have, um, we won, I don't really like getting into the we win thing, you know, but I'll just give you a, a small synopsis. Multiple L'Oreal Color Trophies, multiple L'Oreal Men's Image Award, multiple L'Oreal Next Generation Award. We've won the Well of Trend Vision Award six of the last eight years. We've won Well of Generation now five of the last seven years. At the Irish Hairdressing Championships last year alone, we won the Trainee Blowdry, the Trainee Pull. One of our trainees won the senior category. We won Trainee Irish Hairdresser of the Year. And we won uh, Junior Team Ireland of the Year. That was just one year. We also had eight trainees in the top ten in Ireland. Uh, we have produced the two youngest ever winners of Irish Hairdresser of the Year. Harlan McQuillan and Joanne Kelly both won it when they were 19 years of age in the Now, in 2017, we had a very strange year because we didn't really win anything. We got sort of came second and came third and we were, and we were all looking at each other. And in that year, in just that one year, the winner of the World Weller Transition Award, Darren Lacken, the winner of the L'Oreal World Colour Trophy, Eva Bradley, and the winner of the UK L'Oreal Colour Trophy, Sinead Kelly, and the runner-up in the Canadian L'Oreal Colour Trophy, Marjorie Mongan, were all House of Colour trained. I'm getting shivers just listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> so for that particular moment, just that sort of six-month spell, you know, we looked at each other and went, wow. And the reason we went where well was we said, this works. It doesn't just work because it's us and we're in driving it. This actually works when people maybe don't set up their own salon or move to Canada or move to the UK. This works. Uh, mm-hmm. And we felt it was justification for our training, our team and the people who are still with us that they took the roadmap and went and used that. And we couldn't be proud of them. No, I'm saying that. We came back the next year and went everything like that. Just want to get that one in there, Kelly. You know? um, <laughs> well, actually, then, <laughs> what makes your academy so successful? Then you must have you must be doing something different. You must be you must have like certain specific things to you to your academy. Yeah, so we we, we have a two and a half year training program. Um, all of our apprentices attend the academy one day a week and we pay them to attend the academy. So for example, they will work in the salon anything from three to four days a week Mm -hmm. and then they will all attend uh, our academy one day a week. So they get a dedicated eight hours training a week, which is unheard of in in most salons. And even if they do do it, they very rarely pay the apprentices. But we feel if we're going to push you to the max, then we need to reward you and pay you for it. Also in the program, it's broken into three different areas. You've got induction, excellence, and graduation, uh, which basically means there is three separate exams. You've got an exam after five months called the induction exam. You've got an exam after 17 months called the excellence exam. And then you've got your graduation exam at the end. Now, everything is set out in a manual, and you cannot move from one phase to the other without passing. Once you come to the final month at every section, okay, we go into what's called our Induction Academy, Excellence Academy, and Graduate Academy. And what we do there is we have what's called a bespoke week. So for that bespoke week, you attend the academy for four days, and we have people who come in and will educate you before you do your exam. So you get specialized training in the subjects that's required to pass the exam. On top of that, we also run a self-development program in the graduation year. So the graduation year is the last year of their apprenticeship. So basically, that's from 17 months to 28 months, that period. And in that year, 
we work on how you walk, how you talk, how you sell yourself as a hairdresser, how you smile. We even do smiling classes. What's your posture like? Can you give a business card out? Can you retain a guest? We have nine uh, in-salon um, sort of courses that we do that is exclusive to House of Colour. Quality culture, quality challenge, get the edge, star power, star quality that taught that all along. Plus, we also develop them from an art, music, and literature level. So they're given projects. So, for example, they're given a project some music. They've got to research the likes of the Beatles. They've got to research the likes of Elvis Presley. They've got to research the likes of Jay-Z. They've got to research the likes of um, who's the, oh, uh, Sex Pistols. So people who are seminal in their industry and made everyone turn left, we get them to research. We also pick actors and actresses. We also pick businesses. We also pick fashion designers. Tom Ford, Gucci, Versace. We also pick movies. They're given a list of movies that they must do over the 12-month period, run a month, and come back and do a project in a class on this movie. And again, the movies vary. It can be anything from Schindler's List, okay, right up to La La Land, and the importance of color, background, the importance of everything in those movies to make things work. So what we try and do is we try and tap into this idea that the more pop culture and knowledge you have in here, the more you can connect with different people. So if I have a 19-year-old stylist doing a 60-year-old woman's hair, she can talk about the Beatles or she can talk about breakfast at Tiffany's. If we have a 19-year-old dealing with a 22-year-old, there is a connection there as well. And basically what it means is the boys now have terms of reference they carry everywhere. So if they go to London Fashion Week and the designer says, okay, boys, this is based on Ava Gardner. Bang, they know it. Okay, boys, this is about the film, Some Like a Hot. Bang, they know it. Mm -hmm. So they put some points of reference. And those points of reference, believe it or not, those projects grow people as individuals. Um, and it's amazing because we do a session called uh, There's No Such Thing as Confidence. We don't believe in confidence. And I, I genuinely don't believe in confidence. I've never met a confident person in my life. I've met people who are very good at presenting themselves. I've met people who are good at habits. Everyone has their doubts. And what we've done is we've said, okay, how many times do you see confidence used in a positive manner? Never. Confidence, people use confidence as an excuse. I don't have the confidence. So basically what we say is confidence is a habit. The more good habits you produce, the more confidence you become. The more confident you appear, the more confident you become. The more confident you are at doing things, the more confident you become because confidence doesn't actually exist. It's all about that. Everything is about it. Hmm, yeah, I really like that point of view. And it's actually, I really like the culture um, aspect of it because at the end of the that day... That blew me away, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, like at the end of the day, nothing you create ever comes from a vacuum. Like you take inspiration from from your the past or like different things that influenced you. Um, so I think it is really important to learn about the history. And, and I mean, that's not even just like in the hair and beauty industry, like whatever job you do, whatever you're passionate about, you should uh, take some time to, to research and learn the history and understand past references and, and, and things like that. Like it's, I think it's the only way you can really move forward. Is that is that normal for training academies? Because where I get that you should be looking towards like future trends and almost setting them, I did not expect you to say that you had to study like music, movies, 
actors, actresses from years gone by. Now, it makes sense that it creates that talk in the salon or if someone at a show goes, this is the style. It, it makes sense now. But is, is that normal in training academies? No. We, we, we started doing the projects in 2001. And when we started doing it, and everyone was talking to the other apprentices in other salons that they were friends with, they thought we, we lost the plot. <laughs> they were like, they I honestly what? did not know where you were uh, going with it when you were listening to this off. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but what we found through time is um, our guys carry themselves in a certain manner and carry themselves in a certain way. And generally, when they're in a room full of superstars, are never overawed because they've researched them and understood them. And I'm talking about air industry as well. Part of the project is they've got to study uh, hairdressers in air industry and competitors in air industry because they could end up working for them and you know they need to know what they're going into and what type of area they're going into so I would agree with what Zoe said there in the sense that I do think we're in a fantastic time at the moment that we're pushing forward such a pace but I do also find it very interesting that most of the stuff we do is influenced by different things that went on years ago you know, and we've not had really a fashion revolution, you know, yes, for this generation. There's been no real sort of left turn yet. It just hasn't happened. All that's happened is hair has gone. You know, like, um, whereas you go back through the different generation and there's been that moment when they went, I don't want to be my parents. We haven't hit that yet. You know, when you're looking at a mum and a daughter now, they're very similar in hair, style, fashion, the ball wearing Nikes, you know, 720s or whatever it is they've got on, you know, uh, their hair is generally the same. They're, you know, both of them have their iPhones, both of them have their, 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 their earpods in. Um, and it's going to happen. It has to happen. There has to be a left turn because, you know, life will tell you that it's good when that happens. It shakes things up a little bit. And we need to shake it up a little bit. So just how, uh, I suppose, stringent or, I suppose, tough or whatever way you want to go about your academy, what sort of drop, like, do you have a dropout rate? What sort of pass-fail rate are we looking at? And also, what sort of retention are we looking at then for employment in your salon afterwards? We would have a 70% dropout rate. Dropout? Dropout. First five months. I actually thought you said minutes there, yeah. <laughs> Not five minutes. I know we're bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be roughly 70%. Seven out of ten, uh, you know, won't make it past the first five months. When people make it past the first five months, the general uh, retention rate or how long they stay is nearly around 10 years. I think we measured about 9.8. Uh, so it was about 10 years. Wow. Um, that's the average. We have people with us from day one who are still with us, you know, obviously. Um, but the first five months is the most difficult because at the interview, one thing we say to people is that we're very unusual because we actually say what we do and we do what we say. Mm-hmm. And they look at us and go, oh, yeah, no, no. And I said, no, no, no. You no, know, I'm really serious here. When I say we do this, we actually do it. And one of the rules, for example, is when somebody starts with us, they must have their hair cut to shoulder length and must have a fashionable pull-up room because they've got to wear the brand. They've got to represent the industry. And you'd be amazing on the people that just go, 
don't know. Yeah. I, well, okay, well, that's how we roll. So you better have some else. Because the way we factor it in is that you're going to spend a life changing people and you're going to spend your life inspiring people and you're going to spend your life recommending changes to people. How do you know what it feels like if you've never done it? Fair. You've got to have some experience in that. You've got to understand whether it's color, whether it's color, how big a thing that it is for people. You know, um, so again, there's method behind the madness. We're not just saying do it for the sake of doing it. There's always a reason behind, yeah. Yeah, there has to be. But to be honest, like 10 years, I can't think of many industries that have that sort of employee retention, like not nowadays anyways. It's great to see that there's more loyalty in homegrown. Yeah, well, we, we you know, the majority of, of, of people who leave us um, will either go, well, they may travel. That, that's a big one, you know. And, uh, a lot will open their own salons. Uh, you know, the list of fantastic salons that have come from House of Color um, is, you know, it, it's huge. Um, also, they might go and work for the likes of Wella as, as a, 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 an educator. Mm-hmm. So I know currently there's three of the girls working in the Wella Academy that are ex-House of Color. Uh, there's very few that will move to another salon, strangely enough, which I, I find, I, I think it's good, um, you know, because it shows we're sort of looking after people. Um, yeah. and, and I also think, with, you know, with the majority of boys in work with us, we build a relationship. I still talk to a lot of them today. Well, strangely enough, I talk to them when they're in trouble and they need something. Other than that. <laughs> 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 you know, I don't get I don't get anything else other than that. Um, I, I do think it, you know we we bought into each other at a certain stage, um, and and that's still there. And I'd back them one hundred percent if they need anything on the phone. And I, I I'm generally feel safe and everything. Now, now this is pure curiosity, but would you have ever had um, an ex House of Color staff member? say, who's opened a salon and had, like, their number one protege, say, go through House of Colour Academy uh, to then take them back on? Or has that never happened? No, no. We, we did. We, we, did uh, we had a very unusual one a few years back where we just took all of our training materials and transferred it on to theirs, <laughs> you know. Uh, I sort of just asked, you know, and, but no, we, we, we've never really had that because I do think anybody who comes from here understands uh, the power of creating their own culture. Yeah. And I think that, you know, them sending an apprentice to us, uh, you know, to train to go back to them uh, means they would have to work with us and nobody would want that. Now, we do run courses because we are ITEC, ETCT, and seeing deals approved as an academy. We do sell courses and we do sell a lot of courses, both the stylists, managers, apprentices, we want to brush up on their skills. But that's housed in our academy. It's separate to our apprenticeship program. And that's like bespoke education. It's completely separate part of our business. Uh, I mean, the two don't match. So if somebody does any course with us, uh, part of the sort of rule is if you pay to do a course at House of Color, you can never work in House of Color unless, you know, there's a sort of, 24 month period after you left your employer because we're not going to obviously want to be seen as people who recruit through education. It's not, not, 
Well, look, David, it's been a wealth of knowledge so far or so far in the whole episode. Um, I'd love to keep going, but I suppose just to kind of wrap it up, if someone was looking at starting their own academy or kind of creating their own homegrown team, what advice would you have for them first starting out? Like what areas of their business should they be assessing first? Because like you said, you're not just training people to go to their salons, you're training your own your own uh, staff yeah I, th- I think i think the first thing you need to do is you've got to look at what's the end goal you know the end goal for us for minimum is always we wanted to create superstars who could walk into any salon in the world and be the top stylist there that was our end goal and then we walked backwards we said well if we want to do that what do we need to instill in them? now that was our end goal it doesn't necessarily have to be everybody's end goal when we're looking at building a training program, the training program is not only for the apprentices, it's got to stretch right through for the management team, which includes the stylists. So there has to be something for everybody. The first thing I'd look at is structure. So number one, what areas do I want to perfect? How much time am I giving somebody to perfect that? How am I going to provide the time? So for example, you could have a salon that closes on a Monday, and a lot of salons do close on a Monday. Okay? And I always think you've got to pay rent on a Monday, you know, it's not like the landlord says, well, okay, we won't, we won't put money off you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So why not open on a Monday, set up a class, go in and teach your apprentices, run your day at a 50% discount for anybody coming in who's paying for classes. So you're generating a turnover, you're teaching your apprentice, and your salon has money coming in on a day when it generally didn't have money on it. Yeah. And I think if you start to look at your salon and look at how you can mold the people in it. and if you get the structure right and then you make space and time for them it will pay dividends i would always start with that start at the basics can they shampoo or are they expert shampoos can they apply toners or are they experts at applying toners? create the expert in everybody even if they don't become an expert they will be fantastic Mm-hmm. It would be fantastic. Yeah. They would be halfway along the, the, the journey. We would be a big, big advocate of creating scripts in every situation in the salon. There's a script for answering the phone. There's a script when a guest comes to reception. There's a script at the backlash. There's a script uh, for your consultation. And what happens through time is that script is taken by the individual and morphed and molded into something that suits them. But it's a starting point. We expect these guys who work with us to be fantastic communicators. But what are we doing about it? Do we just expect them to be like this? Or do we actually work them and work how they are? You know, um, being a talented hairdresser is just not enough anymore. It's just not enough. There's thousands of talented hairdressers. You can get education online. You know, during lockdown, there was more free courses done than any other time in the history of hairdressing. You know? But if you can't communicate that or you can't sell yourself or you can't smile, how, how are you going to win somebody? You can't. You can't. And that's actually a common issue for when researching the questions for this, talking to some of our trainers who have all come from the industry. They said you get some great skills training, but no one actually trains you to work in a salon. No one trains you to work with clients. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because we're very privileged, the role we have in in society as hairdressers, 
which is now elevated, you know, from COVID. Um, you know, the role we have is that we, we create art on people's hair. But not only do we create art on people's hair, we're a sounding board to people. You know, we are basically a listening sponge. And, you know, I find it quite interesting that that had to be taken away from everybody for them to actually realize, whoa, that's, I miss that so much. Yeah. I miss it so much. You know, uh, because there's, a, there's a, a, a sort of connection between how you look and how you feel that is nearly mythical. You know, that you look good, you feel good. Uh, you talk, you feel good. You connect, you feel good. Um, and there is no other industry in the world does what we do. Hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we are the loudest and the proudest because actually the art we do and the cuts we do and the colour we do, we actually send it out to be judged every hour. Yeah. Judged every hour. <laughs> Nowhere else in the world does that. You know, if you're an actor and you make a bad movie, you don't get to hear the audience. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so communication is... Vital. It is vital. And it doesn't mean being loud. It just means understanding the difference between hearing and listening. And most people don't even know that difference. And that's one of the subjects we talk about when we're trying our apprentices. Do you understand the difference between listening and hearing? 60% of adults hear things. Yeah. <laughs> 40% listen. I hear you know, what you're and, saying. And, and, yeah, and, and, yeah and, and I think that that's, that's vital in what we do. And, and it's the bedrock of the majority of successful uh, people in our industry. You know, successful people in our industry still listen. Yeah, and listening is an art. Absolutely, Zoe. Absolutely. I mean, I teach, you know, I don't go here in the San Antonio anymore. I know teach in the academy. I, I could be looking at a 17-year-old doing something and I'll go, oh, and then I'll listen to what she's saying and I'll say, okay, afterwards, show me how you've done that again. Um, because you never stop learning. And, and once you perfect the art of listening and, and understanding people, um, it opens up a completely different area, a completely different area for everybody. Because then you're on an upward curve all the time. There is no now because you're constantly learning. Mm. Well, David, this has been absolutely fantastic. And on the behalf of both Killian and I, I want to say thank you uh, for your time, but also for your willingness to share all of that knowledge with us. It's really appreciated. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Thanks so much. I can, can I just say, uh, I think the two years are amazing at what you do. Uh, I really do. I listen to you. You're brilliant for the industry. Uh, the people you have on are top quality and the amount of knowledge and inspiration that you send out is just fantastic. You should be applauded for that. It's really kind of you to say thanks, David. Thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, just just before we sign off, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or follow what you guys are doing at House of Colour, how can people do that? Yeah, if you want to uh, contact us, you can do it through our website, which is houseofcolour.ie. You can also get us on Instagram, at House of Colour, or you can get me at DabHawk. Um, Perfect. And we'll link all of those in today's episode's show notes. So again, thanks so much, David. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. We know navigating the new normal isn't easy and we want to help you reopen strong. That's why we've a variety of business resources updated regularly with information and content specific to your country. 
watch, read, and learn from other salon owners and business professionals. Keep up to date with government guidelines and information on available grants with the Back in Business with Forest resource page and reopening pack at forest.com forward slash C19. Don't forget all of our other free resources, including the Forest Academy Learning Portal, our Help Juice pages, the Forest blog and podcast, and our multiple on-demand webinar recordings at forest.com forward slash resources. Back in business with Forest, getting ready for your safe, strong, and successful salon reopening one step at a time. Moving on to the Inside Forest segment, we're going to kick it off with the Forest Academy courses. We still have the recorded webinar for reopening, get your salon back in business. So if you're still going through the reopening transition stages, check out that webinar with our trainer, Rachel McAdam. She covers the new salon forms and reopening policies, enabling online bookings and automating your salon communication. Two new self-talk courses that we have are the reports tracking your salon success course and scheduling staff rosters both of which are between 15 to 20 minutes in duration. But as we said, they're self-taught, so you learn in your own time. The reports course teaches you how to understand what your business numbers are telling you, monitor your salon's health with our key daily, business, and feature reports. You can automate sending daily, weekly, and monthly reports to key players in your team. And finally, you'll plan out your salon's success journey more effectively with our key salon reports. For scheduling staff rosters, this covers the brand new staff rosters feature in your system. The course will show you how to drastically reduce the time spent scheduling staff working, vacation and sick days, effortlessly manage your whole team's working week from one screen, and you'll never double book time off again by highlighting staff vacation days. As always, if you've any queries or need help accessing the courses, email forestacademy at forest.com. And again, without spoiling um, the Inside Forest episode that we're going to have late July, the feature you've been waiting for is here. If you use Forest in your salon, you can now send your clients forms to fill out in advance of their visit to your salon using the Forest Go app on your phone. This means you can get consent on essential COVID-related questions, all the relevant contact details ahead of time, and you can complete the form with your client's signature. Uh, Of course, this is beneficial for you, but it also is beneficial for your clients as they get the reassurance that your salon is taking care of all the necessary steps to ensure their safety as well. You can send those forms to any device at any time and let any team member review them. It couldn't be easier or safer. And one last thing before we sign off, as always, we uh, have the Forest FM newsletter that you can sign up to to get all the downloadable content and all the updates from this show uh, delivered straight to your inbox weekly on Wednesdays. All you have to do is head over to forest.com forward slash FM and sign up to the newsletter. And on that note, that's all we got for this week. So as always, if you want to share your thoughts on the show or this episode specifically, send us an email at forcedfm at forced.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We're actually planning an episode on uh, sharing UK and Irish salons experiences about reopening. So if you want to share your story, please feel free to reach out. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.